frontrunner win in Mississippi, an upset in Michigan, and the Minnesota legislature kicks off its 2016 session. Welcome to Playing Politics, a podcast from the Star Tribune's editorial board. I'm columnist and editorial writer John Rash. Joining me are my colleagues, columnist and commentary editor DJ Tice, and columnist and editorial writer Lori Sturdivant. And DJ, we're going to start with you in the Republican race. And Frontrunner Donald Trump won three of four contests last night, winning big in Mississippi, Michigan, and Hawaii, while Ted Cruz included Idaho in the list of states that he has now won. And meanwhile, Marco Rubio not only did not win a state, but any delegates, and he now heads home to Florida in a do-or-die primary contest, which is the same scenario John Kasich, Ohio's governor, faces in his home state. Assess the race as it heads into key contests next week, not only those states, but of course, Illinois as well. Well, I think it's fair to say that the hopes of stopping Trump uh, from getting the nomination become more and more far-fetched and uh, and forlorn as he scores one smashing uh, victory after another. Uh, this was very impressive um, Tuesday evening uh, with Trump winning in the Deep South that should have been prime cruise country, uh, winning in the big industrial state of Michigan, uh, which is John Kasich's backyard. Uh, it's very hard to be optimistic that he can be beaten in either Florida or Ohio, and, and certainly if he can't and starts to take those winner-take-all uh, delegate uh, trophies trophies uh, uh he's he's just about there uh so i you know i think that um that's where all the smart money is has got to be and uh, uh given what we'll talk about in a minute uh, on the democratic side uh it b- bodes well for a very interesting at minimum uh general election campaign no question about that and laurie sturdivant dj mentioned the incredible intense efforts by the republican party led by its former standard bearer, Mitt Romney, last week in in what any political race would call an extraordinary speech, excoriating the current frontrunner, Donald Trump. And yet it seems that if at minimum that didn't have any impact or it might have even backfired against um, the Republican establishment, as it's often defined, trying to stop Donald Trump from getting the nomination. Why do you think this didn't have the intended impact? And do you think this in effect, will um, keep some of these Republicans from speaking out, or do you think they'll just intensify uh, these uh, dynamics in the next week? Oh, I think we'll see the the Stop Trump efforts intensify in the Florida and Ohio primaries as both Rubio in Florida and Kasich in Ohio try for home state wins there. But I also am of the opinion that this was too little too late, and maybe the wrong spokesman when uh, Mitt Romney who's Mr. Establishment Republican in the eyes of a lot of people, certainly a, 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 a patrician sort, when he's the spokesman uh, calling out Donald Trump, I don't think that resonates with the voters that Trump has been winning. And DJ Tice, it says a lot about endorsements, doesn't it, which is something that every presidential prospect tries to get, but it certainly seemed to undercut Mitt Romney's argument when easily available footage of Governor Romney accepting and glad-handing, you know, Donald Trump at a podium when he got his endorsement in right. 2012. That hurt, didn't it? Yeah, well, fortunately, there wasn't video of Mitt actually dropping to his knees, as <laughs> Trump assured us he would have done if uh, he had needed to get it. Uh, but, yes, it undercuts it. Uh, it undercuts it fairly dramatically. 
Uh, and meanwhile, I, I noticed this morning uh, that Carly Fiorina has jumped in to uh, endorse Ted Cruz. I doubt that that's going to, uh, to turn the tide. So, uh, yes, I think, uh, you know, I, I think Trump is getting the endorsement that matters, which is from Republican voters. Uh, in state after state, and in the end, I think the establishment is going to have a hard time simply telling the voters that they're wrong. And, Lori, this establishment strategy seems to increasingly rest on a contested convention, which is political science fiction for a lot of those of us. right out of the 19th century. Yeah, it it really really is. It really is, and it's hard for me to imagine that Trump would nicely accept the role of loser at a contested brokered convention if the 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 brack room deal is struck that denies him this endorsement even though he has taken the pledge to stay with the republican party and stay with the republican nominee do folks really imagine that he'll he and his uh, ardent backers will will go home and play nicely with a, a different republican nominee And just a week ago, uh, Cruz, Kasich, and Rubio all pledged to support the nominee, whoever it happens to be. So right away, they're not on board with that floor fight at the convention. I I think Trump is going to have enough delegates at that convention that they, if they mounted such an attempt, they would lose on the floor. Well, it seems that a contested convention on the Democratic side would perhaps be even less likely. But boy, after a big win by Senator Sanders last night in Michigan and momentum in several caucus states over the weekend, this is a tighter race than the Clinton campaign certainly had anticipated and desire at this point. Why don't you please help us assess that race, Laura Sturdivant? Well, I do think that that uh, the Sanders win in Michigan was uh, trouble for the Clinton campaign. Uh, they're at the stage where they would like to begin to pivot toward a general election theme. And uh, some of Hillary Clinton's rhetoric in the last few days has been pointed at Donald Trump, not at Bernie Sanders. But as long as he's winning primaries... Yeah, and the Democratic system does have a proportional opportunity, so he'll be gaining delegates even when he doesn't win. They have to keep watching that flank, and it, I think, increases the likelihood that she'll have to make some kind of gesture in the direction of Sanders and his wing of the party, his message, in order to really have a united party in the fall. So perhaps like a vice presidential pick, either Senator Sanders or Senator Warren out of Massachusetts. who crossed the minds of lots of folks that he may have to go, she may have to go with an Elizabeth Warren as a running mate. Well, one of the gestures that appears that she took early in the campaign, DJ, was that despite being recorded speaking 45 times in support of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the Free Trade Agreement, that she came out against it, perhaps in anticipation of a tough primary fight with Senator Sanders, and free trade in general with both um, all both frontrunners and then, of course, especially Bernie Sanders, has really become um, a hot campaign topic assess what you think this might mean going forward, not just in terms of the ability to strike trade deals with other nations, but President Obama's push to get the 12-nation Asian Pacific Pact pushed through Congress. Well, trade has has long been a useful populist issue that's easy to to stir people up about who are are troubled by the, the vision of uh, American jobs being lost overseas, and it certainly has been 
played on both sides of the aisle in a big way uh, this season is is playing in a an enormous role. I think it's very worrisome for the uh, the prospects for this particular uh, uh, trade deal uh, that you're mentioning, as well as uh, other deals and even existing uh, pacts, which such, Trump such at least talks about uh, abrogating or, or going back on. Uh, and, and I think it's something for people to be worried about beyond the political uh, implication, I think, should the United States, which has always been the world's leading champion of trade, uh, turn in any meaningful way against it, that would have enormous impact on the world economy, uh, um, enormous and, and bad effect, <laughs> and I think bad effect uh, on the American economy as a whole. The trouble with trade is that there are winners and losers, always have been, and making adjustment for that uh, is difficult. But in terms of the overall decline of sort of the good old metal-bending manufacturing job, it's a misdiagnosis to say that the problem is mainly China's taking all our jobs or the Mexicans are, are taking all our jobs. Mostly technology is taking those jobs. You know, we see it here at the Star Tribune. I mean, uh, Lori and I, anyway, have been around long enough. We remember when there were scores hundreds of jobs for key liners and typesetters and various kinds of, of folks at the press room and those jobs are gone none of them have gone to china they have they've gone the way of technology and that's happened much more than jobs that americans really want being lost to uh, indeed overseas. technology and globalization have really had a right. significant impact on labor worldwide and well, let's turn from Michigan and national politics to Minnesota and state politics. And um, the 2016 legislative session opened yesterday. You were there, Lori, and you'll be at Governor Dayton's State of the State address tonight. Please set the scene for us. Well, it, there really isn't a big separation this year between presidential politics, national politics, and what's going on at the state level, in part because we have no statewide offices on the ballot this fall. We have the presidency, we have congressional races, the eight congressional races, and we have the Minnesota legislature, the entire legislature, up for election this year. Legislators are feeling pretty keenly that they are tied to this presidential race, both in terms of the the, uh, the candidates and the themes those presidential candidates are sounding and those candidates appeal their ability to turn out the votes. To whenever turnout is high in Minnesota, in recent years we've seen some DFL successes at the legislative level. Whenever we have lower turnout, we've seen Republican successes. Which kind of year this is going to be will matter enormously to a lot of these legislators. They're very conscious of the fact that their bases are restive. That's my favorite word of this week, restive bases. People uh, worry that if they stray too far from party orthodoxy, they could face primary challenges in this environment. Uh, that's something legislators tr will be c very concerned about, even as they face, I think, a, a larger threat. If this is a do-nothing session, they, I think, will contribute to a, a, a narrative that politics as usual doesn't work and we need to blow things up with, in a dramatic way. Uh, how that will all shake out this year, boy, hard to say. DJ Lurie mentions a mixture of national and state politics, and then there's also personal politics. And one of the stories as the session began is uh, controversy over Kurt Doubts, the Speaker of the House's personal finances. What's at issue here for him, for the session? and even for the Republicans' campaign, as Lori just mentioned, to win both houses of the state legislature. Well, it's, it's kind of a disastrous beginning to the session, certainly for uh, Speaker Doubt, um, 
particularly, I, I suppose, for the Republicans, uh, particularly, but also just for the prospect of a, a successful, constructive session that is going to focus on, uh, on on getting work done for Minnesotans as opposed to a, a kind of, uh, you know, disruptive food fight over there. Uh, we don't probably know quite enough at this point to know how far this uh, scandal, if that's uh, what it threatens to become, uh, is going to go. It really depends on what we learn about whether the speaker got some kind of special treatment in the resolution of, of these credit issues. Uh, but I think it gets us off to a, a very rocky uh, beginning at the Capitol. Lori, DJ mentions a constructive session. It's literally also a construction session in two <laughs> ways. As always, there's a bonding bill and transportation issues may be at the forefront. I want you to briefly address those. And also, this is the session where the most intense work in the massive capital renovation is happening. How is that going to impact the session? Well, we hope there's a bonding bill. We hope there's a transportation bill. There are three big bills that uh, need doing this year that and all three of them could fail. They're, they're kind of politically linked. So if there's uh, no transportation bill, there's likely to be no tax bill. And with no transportation or tax deal, the sentiment uh, that a, the bipartisan goodwill that's needed to pass a, a bonding bill with the supermajority that's required, that may be lacking as well. So these things are, are big question marks going in. The fact that the Senate is meeting in a different building than the Capitol for the first time in, in anybody's memory, uh, the fact that the House is meeting in a, a Capitol chamber that's been stripped down to the point of not having any running water or a ventilation system that functions, the fact that the governor is two blocks down the hill in a, the Veterans Services building, all that just complicates matters. Well, in we certainly know you're going to be watching that throughout the session. Let's look at the upcoming week. And DJ Tice, what will you be watching or watching for as we head into the week? Well, I think uh, all eyes have to be on the uh, the big uh, string of primaries that uh, that come up on the 15th, um, a week from yesterday. Um, this is going to give us Florida and Ohio and uh, and other big winner-take-all states and, and really tell the tale uh, in the Republican side. Uh, also, those states are hugely important to uh, tell us just how long and, and, and how fiercely that uh, Democratic contest is going to continue. And Laura Sturdivant? Well, and at the state capitol in the next week, uh, the uh, all eyes turn to Governor Mark Dayton. We say at the capitol that governors propose and legislators dispose. We are at the proposed stage with uh, the governor's state of the state speech on Wednesday night. He'll articulate the big themes, and then the details will come next Tuesday with his supplemental budget. As for me, I'll be watching the, both of those stories as well. But in terms of the national campaign, I'll have a particular focus on Ohio which will determine so much in both the Republican and Democratic races. Of course, it's crucial to John Kasich in his hopes to become the anti-Trump candidate and to Ted Cruz for his hope to move to a two-man race. And Senator Sanders' victory in Michigan suggests, at least to me, that Ohio, which is another demographically diverse industrial Midwest state, may be in play as well. Well, that's a wrap for the March 9th edition of Playing Politics, which can be heard on the Star Tribune's website and by subscribing to iTunes. DJ Tice and Lori Sturdivant, thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening and for reading the Star Tribune.